Welcome to Seniors and the People Who Love Them. I'm Cookie. I'm Pinky. And I'm Wendy. Last week, we had Jill Brooks on the show. She is the staff development and an infectious disease coordinator preventionist for a local continuing care retirement community. Infection control, it's a big topic right now. Very big topic. And did she not have her stuff together? She really enlightened me. And I've been in the industry for a good number of years. But when you think of all these pathogens and what we need to do, and I know that she emphasized wash your hands, that is so important. And it was so funny. I was thinking about this Pinky and Wendy afterwards when I bought chicken for my Sunday dinner. <laughs> we are talking about chicken. And so the question came up. Parent, do you wash your chicken before you cook it or based upon what's, what we have been reading about what to do when it comes to chicken with some of these experts, we were back and forth. Some We were saying do wash and then our preventionist, infectious disease coordinator preventionist says she washes her chicken. She washes all of her meats. And Pinky said, yeah, she washes hers. So guess what, Wendy? Yeah, I'm back to washing my chicken. Yeah, I don't. That is, I agree. I told you, I'm not cooking anything related to meat without washing. I don't care what this says. <laughs> so now you back. I'm glad you decide that, Cookie, just yeah. to satisfy me. What can I say? But I still don't go to the market, pick the grapes, eat them, and then get home and wash them. I don't do that. You still do that pick up grapes from the oh no i don't eat any i'm more picky about my fruits and vegetables than i am my meat i don't i wash everything really good yeah anything in a bulk i have to try one before i buy to make sure it's a tasteful sour or not sour before i buy that's what you see all the chefs doing yeah they all try it in the supermarket yeah (laughs) okay so before we start we have a disclaimer Our weekly disclaimer is that we are not physician or lawyer. If you have a medical issue or legal issue, please seek a practitioner or lawyer to give you professional advice. Today, we have Erin Logan here. Erin is a doctor of physical therapy, and she's the regional operations director for a company in Dallas, Texas, to discuss physical therapy as it pertains to seniors. I know, Pinky, why don't you go ahead and introduce Erin? Welcome to our podcast, Miss Erin Logan. Thank you. Welcome, Erin, and all us, myself, Cookie, and Windy, at one part of our life that has worked with Erin. Erin Logan is, a, as a Windy said, doctor, physical therapist. And right now, present time, she is called Regional Rehab Director. And also, she has her own business on Rehab Arena. Aaron, why don't you introduce yourself and tell something about yourself and your business? Okay, so thank you ladies for welcoming me to the podcast. As Pinky stated, I am a physical therapist. I went to the Medical University of South Carolina, graduated in 1999. So that's been 24 years in the industry and I have gone multiple different directions, but as stated, I am full-time as a regional operations director for a company based in Dallas. And coupled with that is my own physical therapy company that I hope we can spend some more time talking about as a mobile physical therapist on the outpatient setting. Erin, can you briefly explain for a lot of folks at home that don't really know what physical therapy entails and how it benefits senior citizens, who I know is a big part of the customers in that industry. Physical therapy is multifaceted. We spend a lot of time, not only on after someone has been injured or after someone has suffered an unfortunate circumstance, we spend a lot of time on preventative as well. So if someone has decreased balance with, because they have had a stroke or had a hip fracture, then Obviously, they had the hip fracture or the stroke first, and then we provide the rehab after. But sometimes you can have people who have age-related changes. They have multiple comorbidities like hypertension, which affects approximately 58% 
of our elders. They have uh, any type of heart disease, coronary artery disease, congestive heart failure. That's about 14% of our elders. Respiratory disease, cardiovascular disease, diabetes mellitus, that's about 27%. So with all of those multiple comorbidities that our patients have, they tend to have age-related changes that are a result of those um, disease processes. So if someone has those age-related changes and they suffer balance dysfunction, then they may come, a see, come see a physical therapist prior to falling and fracturing something. They may be doing something in a, on a preventative measure. Great. Thank you. So Erin, thank you for explaining that so well. In addition to some of the challenges that physical therapy address, would you mind just maybe expounding a little more on some of those other kinds of age-related mobility and functional challenges? Absolutely. So as we mentioned, someone may have diabetes. We know they may have diabetic retinopathy. It also affects their sensation. They may have, let's say, coronary artery disease or COPD that can affect their endurance. So previously, someone may have been able to walk the distance of a mall or go to the grocery store and shop. And now they're unable to do those things because of the respiratory problems and cardiovascular issues associated with their disease processes. Of course, we just, we're still in a pandemic technically. I know they said it was the end of the public health emergency back in May. However, we have residual effects of that. So that can affect anything related to your function. So we have fatigue, we have all kinds of things that are a result of the impairments and comorbidities that our seniors are suffering from. That's great. Okay, Erin, so how does the approach to physical therapy differ for senior compared to younger patients? If I may ask, are there any specific consideration or technique that are unique to the senior population? Yes, yeah, so with our seniors, all of us are, I would consider us of the young, younger side of things. So our reaction time is much different. Our eyesight may be better. Our sensation is better. So those are things that our elders may not be able to compensate when we're doing balance challenges with them. So there has to be a lot of safety measures taking place in a more controlled environment. Our elders tend to fatigue a lot more quickly than our younger people. So we have to put rest breaks in on that or if they have balance challenges that our young people don't have, there may be some techniques. I'm really big on things like yoga techniques or Tai Chi. Sometimes we have to think of maybe water aerobics because the person's balance is affected so horribly that we need to protect them and put them in a situation which would not cause them to fall. Even when we are considering our treatments or subsequent follow-up after we have started treatments with our patients, we have to think about their vision. Is there proper lighting wherever they live? Do they have stairs? Maybe they can't negotiate the stairs anymore. If someone had a stroke and they're affected on one side, do they need caregivers now? So the caregiver burden increases quite a bit when we're considering our elders. And we're at a point now where a lot of elders want to age in place. They don't want to be institutionalized. And so we have to think even to our vulnerable adults as it relates to whether or not they have the finances to care for themselves. Whereas someone who's young, they're still maybe able to work and our elderly can't work anymore. So they might not even be able to afford a co-payment. You know, so we have to think about that. And even the business that I started, I don't take any co-payments. I do it just as whatever your insurance pays is what we do so that I can be considerate of the fact that our elderly people are sometimes needing to make decisions between a meal and whether or not they pay for a medication. So that those are all the things that we need to consider as we're giving health care to our elderly folks. Yeah, and I'm glad you touched on that because I'm glad you touched on the aging in place issue because we did an episode a while back and how important that is. People do not want to spend the rest of their lives in facilities where they're mm -hmm. not feeling gratified or feeling fulfilled. And so now they are coming up with all kinds of ways in terms of changing things at home. So 
the elders can remain at home. And even if it means that they would have to incorporate physical and occupational therapy, they want to do that. So I'm glad you really emphasized that point. And you made an interesting point. Especially after COVID, people died in nursing homes more than Mm -hmm. anywhere else. And people are afraid still. And I'll even touch on from a cultural perspective. There are a lot of cultures that do not believe in placing their elders anywhere. And so we have to try to do our best to make it possible for them to age in place. And I know even with with my company, we bridge the gap. If they're in an institution and they go home, maybe they're not qualifying for home health therapy anymore, but they still need additional services. So I've worked in nursing homes. So we have to think about that nursing home setting as we're training individuals in the nursing home. They're training on our bed, our chairs, Everything is controlled, decent lighting, wide hallways, wide doorways, no floor coverings. We're always putting their shoes and socks on. So when you think of them returning home, they may be in a home that doesn't have standardized doorways or very narrow hallways, very poor lighting. The carpet is now starting to roll. They love throw rugs, all of those things (laughs) that we need to think about making their environment safe so that they can age in place in the most optimal way. Falls is something we find we're talking about here. We did a whole episode on falls, but almost every other subject, falls has a big impact on that we're talking about. Significant concern among seniors. How can physical therapy play a role in fall prevention, improving balance and stability? We have various programs and testing measures that we do. So a lot of times, even as a physical therapist, I might do a Berg balance test, timed up and go test. There's Tenetti. There's a lot of different balance programs that we have. We also look at different strategies that you have, how you respond to your balance perturbations. Is it a hip strategy, ankle strategy? Do you start to fall as soon as you have a small balance perturbation? So part of that is identifying what specifically each client needs as it relates to their balance dysfunction in their falls. Because statistically, once you hit pretty much 80 years or above, you fall within six months, you could likely be deceased. So it's just that serious that fall prevention needs to take place. So the Otago Balance Program, fantastic. Some of the things that we do, we can affect the eyesight, like blindfolding, hiding eyesight or whatever, altering lighting, altering the surfaces that the patient is standing or sitting on so that they are, we're mimicking what a balance perturbation would be on uneven surfaces, all the way up to and including actually practicing on the uneven surfaces, gravel surfaces, ramps, curbs, anything like that, stair training, those types of things to overstimulate your uh, vestibular system so that you can correct that and actively be able to make that adjustment when you're in real life situations. That's really great. A big issue, and this is what I see on a day-to-day basis as a social services person, many of our senior residents, they really are motivated. They're motivated to get well, but that issue of pain often comes up. And so my question is to you is, how do you tie that into providing the best program for the seniors. That is fantastic that you brought that up. Absolutely. Because we are in an age of overutilization of opioids and things of that nature. So I'm very big on some of our non-pharmacological interventions, massage, positioning, imagery sometimes works very well when a person can learn to have their body in somewhat of a submission, meditation, I'm a big proponent. I go, I have massages professionally done. I go to the stretch zone. So learning how to stretch yourself is very important. And we also can use modalities adjunctively. So we have electrical stimulation, ultrasound, shortwave diathermy, infrared light. There's a lot of options out there where we can try to encourage patients to use their body and be intact with different endorphins being released in your body through some of our modalities that we have and massages and things of that nature to try to draw us away from the overutilization of medications. Because you have to think also, as we're talking about balance, side effects. 
So we give someone oxycodone or something for their pain, but it's going to make them imbalanced and unaware of their surroundings and makes them more confused. And then we have the underlying situations with people with dementia. And then we couple their medications on top of all of that. We already know adverse drug reactions exist even before we add pain medications. So then we add that on top and we're making a perfect storm for our seniors to fall. And then we're acting reactively instead of proactively to try to help them through whatever process they're dealing with. So true. Seeing it happen all the time. All the time. They come into the the hospital for something minor and end up Mm -hmm. in a different setting. So they're confused and then they fall. Absolutely. Yeah, they're worse than when they came in. Absolutely. All healthcare, even hospital, they try to use people to gain some kind of profit way. Giving you example, if I have went to hospital, something, example, my hemoglobin low. Instead, if you are not alert and oriented, you don't know what they're doing. They -hmm. give you blood transfusion and say, would you like to stay in a hospital? If you're not alert and oriented, you say, okay, and they keep you there for two, three days. Or you just don't know. You just don't know. And you think, I need to listen to what my doctor says. Yes. We trust <laughs> our clinicians. We trust. Yes. yes. And mm-hmm. that's blind trust. We also talk about the previous, our episode that nowadays everybody says, and best my colleague says, all information and thumb up button because internet, and all that availability, you can find anything you want. And that's the point that you need before, like you say, before it happened, find out what you can do, prevent what's going right. to happen to you. And that's one of your point is proactive on, if you feel like you're losing a balance, make sure you find out what's causing it and get happy if you need it. Instead That's of right. waiting when you fall, That's you right. make sure you need therapy. So it's important to work on a proactive approach on any situation. And physical therapy, occupation therapy, all that therapy, big name, the main focus is active, proactive instead yes. of after effect. And I agree with you about you can look up almost anything. Advocacy for yourself and for your loved ones cannot be preached enough. If you know that you're suffering from something, it's not the big, bad, dirty wolf. Like a lot of times, especially our elders, they feel like if I admit to having balance issues, instead of looking at it as a way to advocate for yourself so that you can remain in your setting, they are afraid that's what's going to force them into an institution. Yeah. So advocate for yourself in the beginning and don't be afraid grab it by the horns and say, this is what I need to do in order to remain where I am. Instead of looking at it, that if I speak up for myself and advocate, I'm going to be punished and actually put into an institution. Our goal as therapists is to keep you where you are, not to commit you to an institution or not to allow you to be around your family and things of that nature. We want you to thrive. We want you to do well and to age gracefully not in a nursing home bed or wherever with a broken hip. So we want you to be able to live out the rest of your days comfortable. Mental health, crucial Mm -hmm. for our overall. How does physical therapy contribute to the mental and emotional health of seniors, especially considering the potential impact of isolation and loss of independence? Mm -hmm. We talk about isolation a lot. That's what we just did an episode on. And I'll say, even as we think about this cookie, I'm engaging therapists more and more, especially through being a regional operations director, for them to complete the PHQ-9. Know where your patient is, because if they are mentally checked out, they are down in the dumps and depressed, especially with the pandemic. I cannot talk about that enough, because people were isolated from that, and then they've watched their peers death and dying. Exactly. Like literally most of our elders have lost so many of their peers and so many of their family members, their spouses, 
sometimes even their children, things like that. So the mental health part, really getting them to check in and engage and find meaning in what they're doing. Meditation, just making goals for themselves, joining a senior center, all of those things keep you active, keep you engaged, keep you from getting too far down. But when you score someone on a PHQ-9 that they flagged on it, sometimes you approach them in a different way because you got to deal with the mental piece first to get them engaged. And then we have those underlying, like we're talking about, dementia. I'm not going to treat my demented patient the same way that I'm going to treat my alert and oriented patients. Sometimes I have to pretend to be the granddaughter or I have to talk about their memories from 50 years ago in order to engage them. And then we can move forward. So that mental piece, it, when, you're, when we're talking about the release of different the endorphins and all those types of things that come along with exercise, we have to let patients know that they need to engage in that so that we can optimize their recovery as well. And can you tell us for the people at home what that form is that you're talking about, the PHQ-9? Yeah, so that is a questionnaire that is done to basically look for signs and symptoms of depression. It is not a diagnosis of depression because that can be a misnomer, if you will, that people feel like if they flag on a PHQ-9, then, oh my gosh, I'm now clinically depressed. No. And it also doesn't mean that now you got to go sit on someone's couch for a psychiatry. But when you do a test like that, your personal health questionnaire, when you do that, it helps you know where you stand. And I'll speak from a place of familiarity with this. Going through COVID for me was a very difficult time for me. And when I went to my doctor and I, they completed the PHQ-9 on me, I actually had a score high enough that said I was depressed. So I share that with my patients. I'm very transparent about that and about mental health. So some of the things I started doing, I go to the float tank once a month. I go to the stretch zone once a week. So I do things that I know that I need to do to keep myself engaged and plugged in to what I need to do for my own well-being. Yeah. What's a float tank? So the float tank is you are in a pod. It's completely dark. It's 18 inches of Epsom salt water. It's sensory deprivation. You can't hear anything, see anything, nothing. And you float. So I go for two hours at a time. As soon as you lay back in the 18 inches of Epsom salt water, you immediately Uh float. So suspend it in just water. So it's very therapeutic if you have aches or any type of meditation, if you will, because it's only you and the water. You're in your own space. And how long are you in there? I do two hours, but I had to work up to two hours. Yeah. So if if you are claustrophobic or afraid of water or anything like that, (laughs) it's probably not a good idea, but it it works for me. I had to find what I needed to do to keep myself plugged into my circumstance. It's probably a good break. Yeah. And I have to add to your, the issue of meditation or the, the concept of meditation, because I do that. And it, for me, we meditate differently, but I, what mm-hmm. I do is probably, I don't do the flow tank, but it's something that I would probably be considering in the future. But I think it's just a good idea to just shut down everything mm-hmm. that has transpired within the day, within the week, within the month, and just go into yourself, quiet, mm-hmm. quiet your thoughts. I hear people mm-hmm. say often, I want to, but my mind keeps going on and on and I just That's can't I slow it. Yeah, and exactly. I understand. I have background music. I do reading before I go into that part of the evening. I do it three times a week. And mm-hmm. it has been has done wonders for me. And even with my residents, when we when I do that PHQ nine, I say to them, don't be afraid to say that you're feeling bad mm-hmm. about your state of affairs. You're feeling bad about your circumstances. It's situational. It doesn't mean that you're clinically depressed and you have a mental illness. It just means that at this point of your life, you're really feeling down about the circumstances. And if you feel that you have a need for more counseling, that's okay, too. That's That's okay, okay too. Yeah, because it's a lot of stigmas surrounding mental health. And it's also a lot of stigmas for asking for help. And and we've got to get rid of that. We have to just think about well-being and really tapping into what we need 
so that we can maximize who we are for the long haul. We're into longevity. People are living longer. So we have to start thinking for the long haul. And having that quality of life, not just quality. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So Erm, can you share a success story or a case study of a senior patient who benefited significantly from physical therapy, maybe highlighting the impact it had on their quality of life? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. One one aspect of my life, being a physical therapist, there's times that I have worked obviously hands-on. And then I've seen people in the home health setting. And then of course, being a regional operations director, I see patients that I've seen in both the nursing home and in the home health setting. So it's full circle sometimes when I'm seeing patients. But I will say one of my successes is once I started my own company. So starting my own company to help bridge the gap. So I would see patients who had their going from the hospital to their rehab center, sometimes more than one rehab center. And then sometimes you have someone saying, oh, you can't return back home. So my success stories have been where I have seen people transition through every phase of that, go through home health and still have a difficult time because even with home health sometimes, which I work for two home health companies right now. So with that being said, I'll see patients who still struggle. Maybe they're independent in the home, but then when they start to branch out and go beyond the home, now they're struggling again. So I would say my success stories was being able to transition multiple patients between every phase of their recovery. Wow. Watch them be remain at home with their families, enjoying Thanksgiving, Christmas, and birthdays, and baby showers, and everything else. That's what's meaningful to me. I've even worked in some of my past in shock trauma. I've seen patients go from shock trauma to nursing homes where I've worked and watch them transition through that and then eventually go home. So those, that just gives me so much fulfillment with the type of work that I do because I see people with a smile on their faces when they're able to walk again, when they're able to transfer again, when they're able to get back and hold the grandbaby. That is a success story to me. Yes, it is. Tell me a little bit about your company. How long has that been in operation and how did mm-hmm. you come to do that? Because that's really interesting. Right. Yeah. So my, my company is a concierge mobile physical therapy company. And the way that I came up with this is basically because of COVID. There were patients, of course, they shut down outpatient centers, period. And then even once they started opening, people didn't want to go. They were afraid of outside. And I feel like sometimes when you go to some of these centers, it's not very personalized. Sometimes we're guilty of putting people into a little, like a hamster wheel, if you will. Like every person on this call gets the same exact treatment. Whereas if I go and see you in your home, this is characteristic of you. Like this is everything about you. This is what makes Wendy, Wendy, Pinky, Cookie, and Erin. I see you in your home. It's going to be very different if I see you at the nursing home down the street. Oh, yeah. So I knew we had to personalize our care. I felt like a lot of therapists are very guilty of not personalizing things. And I didn't want to be that therapist. So my goal was to bridge the gap again, to help people age in place, to feel fulfilled, to learn how to be creative in their activity. So when I go into someone's home, I teach them how to use cans of corn as a weight. They're basically a pound. I went and I bought weights that you can fill with water, depending on how many pounds you want. So it's like a dumbbell. I would go to five below and buy different things so that they can learn how to exercise on their own, giving them tools in their own environment in order to help themselves with balance. Standing on a pillow. So that would give you uneven surfaces, almost mimicking as if you're walking on gravel. So I can teach you in the controlled external environment, but I want to empower patients to take control of themselves so that they can get better. What an inspiration. What an inspiration. My goodness. What service area does your company cover? I base, I live in Howard County, Maryland. So I will travel up to about an hour oh. to see patients. So I've been to Essex, Montgomery County mm-hmm. I've been to. As long as you have insurance in the state of Maryland, I would consider depending on what you need, but I have, I've traveled up to an hour. 
And then I'll say too, even with my business, because I mentioned earlier, I don't do the copay. So I've seen patients in nursing homes struggle trying to figure out how they're going to pay. Uh, or if they want to go home, they don't have the 20 to $25 an hour for a caregiver, a paid caregiver, and their daughter's still working. So I've seen that happen. So I feel like if you have Medicare Part B that pays for outpatient therapy, then that's all you need. I don't need, if you happen to have a secondary insurance, fine. But if you don't, then I will pay, your insurance will pay for my services. I've even done people pro bono. It just depends on what the needs are. That's wonderful. What has been your relationship with the um, DME companies, the durable medical equipment companies? Is there one that you use more or just how do you interrelate with those companies? It's not necessarily any that I use more. Ironically, I have adopted several DME pieces of equipment. So you should see my living room behind my couch. I have a walker, rollator, I have all kinds of stuff. So I've donated, but a lot of insurance companies do pay for equipment. So I have vendors that I've worked with that I've actually met through nursing homes and home health companies that I've worked for that I'll call and they'll fulfill the order and help to get the patient's equipment. In terms of your company, do you get a lot of pushback from the physicians? Not at all. Wonderful. No, not at all. Most patients, most physicians, most family members, they embrace the concept. Um, And that's because patients are like, oh, you'll come to my house? You know, I won't have to go out and people won't have to see me wobbling all over the place with a walker? Or your goal is for me to stay home? You're not going to charge me extra money. I never do any exchanges of money. I just have my billing person submit their stuff. All I need is their insurance number, basically, in their name. So at the end of the day, when I get the referral from their physician, that's it. It's nothing else to it. I call them. I let them know when I'll do the intake. I come in. I do a full-blown assessment, specialized testing and everything to see what direction we go. So I do a consultation first, and then we go from there and create a plan. That's great. I We often talk about our purposes in life. Yeah. You are living yours. That is. Yep. She's living one of those. Towards it. And I'm actually looking towards diversifying it a little bit for a staffing agency because I feel like physical therapy can be a little bit narrow-minded. And I feel like there's so much more that patients need. Oh, Yeah. So if they need a home health aide or they need the nurse or whatever, I want to consult with people so that they can bring their services in so that I can more holistically treat patients. Because it's not just yeah. about the PT. We just talked about mental health. Right. So yeah. if they need a counselor, I want to be able to call, hey, Quickie, I got somebody that needs a bit of counseling because they're exactly. not getting through it. Or if we have a nurse or whatever, Pinky, Wendy, they need IVs checked or something. I want to be able to treat patients the whole patient. So that's my goal. There's a real need for that. Like people mm-hmm. that, it especially is. you have kids that are trying to manage their parents' care from far away sometimes. And, that's right. and they really do need the help. We had a moving company come on and do an episode with us. And that's what they were for moving. They would take care of whatever aspect needed to be done. You need movers, you need organizers, you need contractors, and they would just be the connector to get all of that Mm -hmm. for people. There's a real need for that. It absolutely is. Because I'll even tell you as a PT, I'm in there looking at their shower and all that stuff. That's probably when OT could be doing that. Or one thing that I try to do for all of my clients is get, they need a binder and the binder has who all of their doctors are, any specialists primary care, whatever, all of your medications, everybody's contact information in your family, their their most form, do they want DNR or do we do chest compressions? Everything in one spot. So that way, if they go out to the hospital, the daughter only needs to grab the binder and then they go. So it's all about advocacy and really just trying to empower people to know their diagnoses. I don't know how many patients we talk to and we're like, oh, what's going on? And they're like, I don't know. I just take these pills. So I want patients to be involved as much as they can. And that's better for your well-being anyway, because you're plugged into yourself. You know what's going on with you and you can advocate for yourself that way. 
Tolerant nutrition and exercise often go hand to hand mm -hmm. for healthy aging. How do you collaborate with other healthcare professionals such as a dietitian or fitness mm -hmm. trainer or to provide comprehensive care for your senior? That is a wonderful question. I'm very happy you brought that up too, Pinky, because adequate hydration and nutrition is tantamount to your recovery. A lot of our seniors avoid drinking all day long, basically, because they don't want to have to go to the bathroom. Yeah, exactly. I always encourage my clients to remain hydrated, especially now, 90 degree weather, you have to eat and drink. That is the fuel. Calories are the fuel. Hydration is the fuel for any type of bodily movements you want to do. Your muscles, your body, your whole body is made, mostly made up of water. If you're dehydrated and you might sip coffee or something like that, which is not a hydration, the best thing to hydrate with or teas and things like that, good old fashioned water, things that are heavy in electrolytes, things that are heavy in protein. So when we're thinking about if you're working out, what does your body need? You need protein. Your muscles need protein in order to do well in, in therapy. So if I need it, then this is one area where I'm speaking of as I want to diversify my company's name is On Track Rehabilitation, and it's a global thing to get you back on track. That's how I pick the name. And so with that being said, when I have that holistic approach that I would love to grow towards, that I am growing towards, that is one person that would need to be on staff. Maybe we do need nutrition. You know, even when we're thinking about dentition, how many elderly people do we know that don't even have a set of dentures or something. I want to be able to call the dentist and say, can you do a home visit to take the mold so we can get this person dentures so they can eat? Or if you lost a bunch of weight, your old dentures don't fit anymore. All of those things I want to yep. be able to consult with eventually. Of course, in my controlled settings, like nursing homes and things like that, we just give a recommendation for them to have a consult. But when we're in the community, it's so much different. They go to a primary care physician, they may not get that dentist referral that they need. So I want to look at the patient holistically. What do you need and be able to outsource to anybody who needs to, who they need to see? Yeah. I've seen dental issues a lot in nursing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Our telehealth has become more prevalent. How has telehealth impacted your practice and the way you deliver physical therapy services to your seniors? Yeah, so health, home health has been a blessing in, in a lot of ways with the pandemic and everything. So in the nursing home setting, we do have to call on, especially in some of my remote settings that I have that are way out in the middle of nowhere. No therapist lives in a more than an hour radius of some of my buildings. So with that being said, telehealth has to be used. Now we're at a point where, of course, in the nursing home, there's an extender. So the other therapist is on the other end of the HIPAA compliant device or platform that they're using, and they do the telehealth that way. For me, I don't with my business, I don't necessarily treat telehealth. I go in the home. I'm hands-on. But I do telephone screenings, so that's a little bit different. But definitely in the nursing home setting, we're using telehealth. Okay, great. Aaron? Aging come with various medical conditions, as you explained before. How do you tailor physical therapy plan to accommodate senior with multiple health issues and varying level of mobility? So with varying level of mobility, that goes with the standardized testing. We have to know what your baseline is. We have to know what your prior level of function is, what your goals are, and what reasonable expectations are. So when we merge all of that together, then we formulate a plan. Usually our plan is about 30 days, several times a week. I know if I see someone through my business, I usually see them two to three times a week, similar to an outpatient setting. However, if you're in a nursing home setting, usually that's three to five times a week. So with that being said, formulating the plan is just so important. And if I know that somebody has diabetes, for instance, and their sensation is gone, or maybe they had a stroke or something and they can't feel something, then I'm not gonna necessarily put electrical stimulation on them for the risk of burning. So I have to look at each patient individually, mutually exclusive and formulate the best plan for them. 
So next question come to in my mind, Aaron. How you deal with expected goals? Like you think that mom only able to do certain physical therapy or gain this kind of mobility. But loved mm. one thinks, oh, mom can do more than what you're telling. How you deal with that? Because in mm -hmm. healthcare, like facility like that, we always deal with family members and stuff. And we say, oh, your mom cannot do this. And they say, no, you haven't tried enough. My mom can do more than what you're telling me. My mom can stay home by herself. Even you are saying no. So how do you deal with that kind of situation? I'll tell you, in the 24 years of practicing, I have seen this so many times. Unrealistic oh, yeah. expectations from family members, from the patients, whatever. If I am meeting with a patient, I'm very candid. I'm very honest. I will let them know that I'm acknowledging their desire, where they would love to be functionally. But realistically speaking, I of course, I'll bring up a stroke. I have patients who have had a stroke 10 years ago. They've been in a wheelchair all this time. They cannot bathe themselves. They need help sitting on the side of the bed. They're not able to walk on their own, but you still have the daughter and or the patient or whatever. I want mom to walk again. So realistically speaking, we need to sit down and let's put this in perspective. I want mom to be at the highest optimal functioning ability that she can possibly be, but most likely that's not going to include walking if she hasn't walked in 10 years. Exactly. Or let's break down components of walking. If she can't sit herself on the side of the bed alone, how is she going to get to a point where she's walking? So sometimes you have to just make sense of what someone's asking. And the biggest thing is if someone is asking something unrealistic, we give them time to prove themselves wrong. You know, that, okay, maybe this isn't the best idea. If you can't even lift your leg to put your socks on or put your shoes on and do a sit to stand transfer, you're not going to walk independently. But it's not right for me to come in day one and say, you're crazy for thinking that you're going to walk again. That's insane. How could you think that? No patient wants to hear that. We're back to the mental health thing. Exactly. But we have to embrace them and make the relationship first, have the conversation with them, make them trust us. Exactly. All of those things have to take place first. And then once we get to that next level, then we'll say, you know what, you probably can't walk, but how about let's work on your transfers? Let's make you really good at a transfer so that you're independent at a wheelchair level. You got to find purpose and meaning maybe a little bit lower. You got to find the goals that are appropriate for that patient and work your hardest to get that buy-in. So they know that, yeah, we want you to be independent, but at a wheelchair level. So sometimes that's the method that works. Yeah. And I can appreciate that as all in the delivery. And as you stated previously, building that trust. Sometimes I get a bit, I have to be very sensitive to what the patient's goals are and even the family member's goals are. I work in a continuing care retirement community and the independent living residents' goal first and foremost is I want to go back to being independent. Yeah. Independent. And, and I know at the time that's not a realistic goal. However, we have to be and just how we present that. And over time, as you stated, let them show, have them, I don't want to say we can, we're proving, we, excuse me, that we are right, but just letting them know that we will allow them to learn for themselves. That's right. Because it's a tough reality when you, when everything that you're used to, the control that you've had throughout your entire life, we meet people of all sorts of degrees and Right. capabilities in your life and people who've worked hard all their lives and now they're more dependent. That's a, that's tough. So we yeah. do, we need to be very sensitive to that and create that trust and relationship so that they know that we have their best interests in heart and we're not going to recommend something that's going to compromise their safety. So we talked about the caregivers, but one other item I want to mention is that can you come up with some practical exercises that can be incorporated into an elder's daily routine. 
I can mm -hmm. say dancing. Dancing has worked for me <laughs> and it will work for me until I'm 102. Cookie, you are dancing queen. So nobody can, <laughs> you cannot compare anybody with dancing queen, okay? But we can but try. Dancing is one of the best things. I would definitely say yoga is very good. Yeah. I would definitely say also Tai Chi. So that's a spinoff of yoga because that is movement with yoga poses. So that tends to affect your balance much better because you have the movement through the air at the same time you're doing your poses. Things like that can also be done from a seated position. So you have to think if your balance is very compromised, consider things from seating, seated positions. There's also plenty of YouTube videos. If you put in the search box, um, chair exercises or exercises for the elderly, they have little 20 to 30 minute yes. exercise programs and stuff that are just fantastic. So I always say, if you're thinking of your body, every joint, start at your head and neck, start doing some range of motion and movement, then go to your shoulders, then your elbows, your hands, go down to your trunk, work on some twisting and reaching through the air, then down to the hips, like marching in place. If you're seated, do some kicks. So every joint, and I even sing to my patients, it's like your knee bones connected to your shin bones so that yeah. gets them in the yeah. mindset. Each major joint, go through that and do a movement. And if you're at a point where you can hold on to that can of corn, or you can hang on, get go to five below, get you some ankle weights. They're cheap there. Tie your ankle up and do some kicks. The little portable bikes that they have. They can go on a table or on the floor. So there's plenty to be done. Even if you do a lap around your house, do a couple of laps around the house. And then the more practical, gardening. Maybe instead of ordering out, consider making your meal, following a recipe, because all of those things help to jog your memory as well. See sequencing and looking at your mental health. Even with cooking, if you can prepare most of your items seated at the table in the kitchen, and then get up and do the other stuff. So if you have problems with your endurance, chunk your activity instead of trying to do it all at one time. Because doing it all at one time might wear you out. But if you right. sit and you cut up all your vegetables and season your meat in your seated position, that gives you the energy to stand for the 10, 20, 15 minutes, whatever, to right. actually prepare the meal at your stove. Right. Okay, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Welcome back. This is the part of our podcast where we share resources that we use to do some additional research into the topic that we're covering today. And Pinky's going to tell us a joke. I found some resources. I found a really interesting article called The Benefits of Physical Therapy for Older Adults. It was by WebMD. I will put the link to that article, in the show notes. I also found, I love the National Council on Aging. I go to them for a lot. It's an article entitled The Role of a Physical Therapist in Healthy Aging by the National Council of Aging. And I will also put that in the show notes. Did you want to share your company name and contact information so people would know where to reach you if they're in this area? Absolutely. So the name of the company is On Track Rehabilitation, LLC. And my name, of course, Aaron Logan. And so my email address is elogan702 at iCloud.com. And then my cell number is 443-415-0004. Okay. All right. Great. And I'll make sure to put that in the show notes as well. Okay. Okay, so let's go for a joke for today. Yes. All right, I'm going to focus. Okay. <laughs> and make sure you laugh and don't be, okay? If you like it or not. No, I'm okay. going to be honest. <laughs> That's true. That's You have to be honest. An elderly couple had dinner at other couple's house. And after eating, the wife left the table and went into the kitchen. Two gentlemen were talking and one said, 
Last night, we went out to the new restaurant. It was really great. I would recommend it very highly. The other man said, what is the name of the restaurant? The first man thought and thought and finally said, what is the name of the flower you give to someone you love? The one that red and has a thorn. Do you mean a rose? Yes, that's the one, replied the man. He then turned towards the kitchen and yelled, Rose, what's the name of the restaurant we went to the last night? Okay, I like it. <laughs> okay. Nice. So that is our show for today. We would like to thank Erin Logan and her company is On Track Rehabilitation. Erin, you were just fabulous. We got thank a you. lot of information and hopefully this is going to be the start of something wonderful between the you, the two of us, seniors and the people who love them and your company. And I know people will really be interested in, in just being, just feel great about what you're offering to them. And I think that is, is really so valuable. Thank you. I appreciate the time, ladies. Thanks for inviting me on. Thank you for coming. This is fantastic what you're doing as well. Yeah. It's very nice. So please subscribe to get our upcoming episodes. We will be releasing new episodes every other Tuesday morning. If you have any questions, feedback, or ideas for future topics, please visit our website, www.seniorscast.com. You can email us at seniors at seniorscast.com. Please give our podcast a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. I know a lot of people our age use Facebook a lot. So we do have a Facebook page and we're pretty active on there. So please follow that. Until next time, I'm Pinky. I'm Cookie. And I'm Wendy. Bye. 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 Bye.